Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to get to the very heart of the issues facing the health and social care sector in the UK by really attacking the question of how we can enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza, and social care has never been more prominent in the news. According to some commentators, it's facing an existential crisis, and others are saying its workforce is at the worst point that it's ever been. It's vital, therefore, to hear from leaders with experience of how we can solve this challenge, and therefore I'm delighted and honoured to welcome Raina Summerson, the Group CEO at Agincare. Raina, thank you so much for uh, travelling and joining us today in the studio. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute privilege, actually. I wanted to ask and get straight to the key question. Um, I hate to remind you that you're uh, over 30 years in the sector and seen so many changes. Jeremy Hunt chaired the Health and Social Care Select Committee in the summer. He's uh, doing uh, other things at the moment. And uh, in that report, they claimed that uh, the workforce crisis within the NHS and social care was was the worst ever. We've seen huge numbers of uh, shortages, 165,000 skills for care. How bad is it on the ground? Are you seeing this as a crisis or perhaps that dwarfs all others? Yeah, certainly. I think even even since the Health and Social Care Select Committee, I think things have gone backwards, as, as indicated in the Skills for Care report. And I think certainly when you look at the kind of direct care delivery, it's never been as bad. So we have, um, as you know, Agent Care has different service streams. So we have care homes, we have um, home care, we have live-in, a training company, we work with younger adults with learning disability and autism. So usually you see some flex and movement across those services. So if one is having a particular workforce challenge, maybe home care because of fuel prices or something, then people kind of gravitate to care homes more where they work more as a team or they don't need a car, etc. And I think um, in the last year, it certainly just hit all of the services. It doesn't, you know, home care is certainly the hardest hit. And and I think that is a lot to do with fuel prices, cost of living, less, you know, younger people driving or owning, a, being able to afford to own a car or wanting to own a car or having a driving test and delays in driving tests. So I think a multitude of reasons that have hit home care more, but certainly absolutely, I know we use the word unprecedented a lot in social care, but really unprecedented staffing challenges, yeah. Um, the survey that New Cross Healthcare Commission YouGov to undertake, uh, the care survey, only a few weeks ago found that 27% of care workers were, were thinking that they were likely to leave the sector. So we've got an even more pressing challenge. There's been a fundamental watershed in the landscape of health and social care with the integrated care systems taking a statutory footing. Do you see even nascent hope that that agenda of integration will help workforce across social care too or is it still very much skewed towards the NHS? I think it is invariably still very skewed to the NHS but I do think there's glimmers of hope and um, as, as I think you know I've been working fairly long term with the ICS as it was in Dorset um, and although that role and the workforce planning and the kind of boards and the subgroups have changed slightly since July and the, and the ICBs we're still being very much involved and there's some really nice kind of cross working um, being done on things like vocational scholarships on apprenticeships um, which is around using some of the resources coming into the NHS and into the ICS and filtering that through into social care. So I think there's there are glimmers of hope. I think ultimately, even with those glimmers of hope and where there's some really interesting projects going, the end game is ultimately always spoken of about 
helping the NHS. And the danger is if you do something within the ICS and the ICB around workforce, that unless it's done really carefully, it's really just kind of pump priming and using social care as a funnel to supply the NHS with more skilled workers um, and seen as a kind of stepping stone. So it's not, or it's just about hospital discharges. It's not about what the truth of social care is about prevention, about community, about building good social care that helps um, more in a more preventive way. Well, let's let's focus on that a little bit. Um, Tim Oliver, the chair of the County Council's network, has been on record uh, uh, this month um, making a similar point, saying that there needs to be true uh, local authority representation uh, in the decision-making mm. process of the ICS. Um, and social care, as you say, the narrative is often... Um, as a conjunctive way of looking at the NHS. But I want to step back from that. Um, you've been doing a lot of work with uh, Social Care Future and just want mm-hmm. to talk about the advocacy. We, we talk about parity of esteem between social care and NHS. We, we have a long way to go, but can you just elaborate a little bit about social care in of itself and its contribution? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Social Care Future and it's something I think, yeah, as a qualified social worker, I'm quite passionate about the kind of roots and values of true, proper social care and what it should give, as you say, rather than just a kind of prop for NHS and hospitals and a kind of acute care, because um, it's about taking it back to so much earlier than that and kind of building healthy communities, healthy resources, so that hopefully people don't draw on the NHS as much because it's a different kind of lifestyle. So I think the Social Care Future's it is a really interesting parallel to, in a way, our workforce issues because it's about people with lived experience being more engaged and, and asked about and involved in social in decisions about social care. And it is about the roots of social care. It is about looking at what is good social care, like what, what is the place that we call, call home? Why is home? What does it mean to all of us? Um, and not kind of othering people who, you know, are, are often termed to be disabled or ill or vulnerable. And actually, that's us. That could be any of us at any given time. So it's about how do we build a system that helps us all? And I think the parallels for workforce are the same. You know, how do we address some of the workforce challenges we've got unless we find a way to really more positively promote social care and all it does and to involve our workforce better? And that's incredibly hard to do really, really meaningfully with our direct care workforce, especially at times when it's so pressured and, and getting their time on anything but direct care is, is really difficult. So... No, look, it's encouraging to see that work and the advocacy, as you say, of the contribution that social care stands alone in making irrespective of the rest of the landscape. Um, Before we go into some of the detail in terms of the solutions that you're seeing in helping the workforce, uh, I have to use the F word, uh, funding, of course. Um, And um, Jeremy Hunt, Chancellor now, delivered the autumn statement uh, to many commentators, uh, was far more generous in terms of provision, whether it was the Better Care Fund. fund. Uh, Some things were delayed, social care charging uh, to 2025. Um, But you'll know, of course, uh, when he was chair of the Health and Social Care Select Committee, which you were familiar with, um, he asked for £7 billion of funding. We're a long way short. Just how important is that right now? Because without proper funding, we are going to be facing a bit of a chasm between expectation and delivery. Yeah, I mean, funding is always important. Um, I think, you know, I think it's important in terms of accountability as a society, where, what and how are we prepared to fund social care because that illustrates how important we see it to our society and people that work in it, people that might need to draw on it. So I think it is incredibly different. You can't, 
implement policy um, and you can't implement change without some funding being there. You can't reward the workforce um, to work in it and work in it well and be rewarded and recognised for that being a really important job if you're not funding it properly and you're trying to get away with you know people being paid a lower wage so I think you know the funding is key and and it's it's not the be all and end all you know and I think there's a lot as you say a lot of smoke and mirrors around in social care and some of it is around you know new policy and the changes and reform you know when in reality if the Care Act 2014 was enacted properly um, and funded properly that would have made a lot of the changes that reform is kind of seeking now and it's it's um it's just not been successfully and fully implemented or funded. So, so yeah, you can't get away. Funding is is invariably linked with with the issues across across the sector and some of the solutions. Um, but equally, there's something about changing the narrative behind how we talk about social care, about how we as sector leaders, about how government understand it. You know, there's a, there's a lot more to it. Absolutely, it is well, a key part. We have to hope the advocacy continues. Um, Going to the solutions, if I may, work that you're doing at Ashton Care, your wider experience, of course, with Home Care Association in the past, what you're seeing in the sector. Um, we s- conducted the um, survey, New Cross Healthcare, and, and it found that 67% of people who were interested in care as a potential career didn't know um, how to actually enter the sector. So it goes back to the advocacy point, and I wanted to find out whether what you've seen in terms of promoting the sector in a proactive way so that you're seeing some developments for people looking at the sector as a potential career? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really important point. And I think social media is um, obviously becoming more widely used, but it's keeping up with what uh, maybe younger people, people coming in potential workforce, what, what are they using, what's important to them? So I think there's sometimes a disconnect between providers and you know what they're using to try and get information out there and attraction. I think there's something around, I mean, we do we do a lot of work with schools and colleges and, you know, we get some moans and groans that that can be, you know, it's not productive, it's no, it's not the ROI on it, you know, because they're kind of the wrong age group. But for me, it's incredibly important to get in at a younger age. To me, it should be part of our schooling, our education system. It's about awareness, again, of social care, what it offers as a career, what it offers society, the different routes, because it's so multifaceted and everyone, you know, just lumps it into this kind of you know thing that they don't quite understand but you know when you it's complex so you need time to talk to people but I think if you can get into schools because I know when we worked with one of the local colleges on a kind of health and social care academy I found it was like educating tutors and lecturers and teachers and educating families because they come onto a health and social care stream and um, you've often got kind of people they go into nursing or they go into nursery nursing childcare, or they go into social care and I'm, I'm sorry, most families, given the media coverage on social care <clears throat> and all the negativity that surrounds it, you get your son or daughter coming home and saying, oh, I'm going to, I don't know what stream to go. I say, oh, shall I do childcare, nursing or social care? Probably 99% of families will go, oh, don't do social care. It's awful. You'll end up in a care home and it's, you know, it's really bad. And um, I'll go into nursing or go into, into childcare. So I think there's something about informing and advising families, society, people. It goes back to that broader narrative about social care. And we get stuck on this doom gloom story and funding, which is essential. But, you know, we get stuck in this rut. And then, and if we're talking about doom and gloom all the time, why would anyone want to come and work 
in it, really. So no, it's ab- a bit counterintuitive <laughs> when you kind of, yeah. No, but as you say, the advocacy pit, you'll know the prediction we need 490,000 mm. more uh, people in, over the yep. coming decades. So making that advocacy with schools and colleges. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing some tangible results from that. Yeah, it's slow. I mean, it is, you know, apprenticeships, we've done really well. We've, mm. we've um, through, you know, training now, we've, we've delivered kind of, you know, 300 plus apprenticeships. Um, and they are not all entry level, you know, they're kind of different levels, but you know, really reflecting the careers that are available in social care and offering people a different way to come in to, into the workforce. So, um, yeah, I, I think success, but it's, it's slow in terms of the schools and colleges. You need the media on board, you need, you know, education system on board. Absolutely. The government on board. Uh, no, it would help if someone understood social care. Well, I think uh, hopefully the, the series will allow us to elaborate and to hear from you and others to, to do that. I wanted to touch base. We've talked about attraction, which is really mm-hmm. important. Um, I know that the wellness and well-being of the workforce is very close to your heart. You've spoken publicly about it. Again, we go back to the Health and Social Care Select Committee a year ago now, uh, saying that burnout was at an emergency level. Uh, the, the New Cross Health Care Survey found that 38% of uh, care workers had reported a deterioration in their mental health over the last 12 months, only 17% an improvement. Again, some specific, we know this is a challenge, it's across society. Um, cost of living, of course, financial well-being is uh, inextricably linked to that. Anything that you're seeing and things that you're seeing which you're proactive around helping the workforce deal with the broader wellness issue, but also particularly the cost of living challenge? I think job satisfaction for people working in social care is, is an issue because... It's not just about what you can do as an employer. I mean, for us, most of our work is local authority or, or NHS. So, you know, you've got high dependency levels. You've got people who um, maybe aren't getting the care that they need. Um, assessed wise, you know, they're getting the minimum. So our workforce are having to go in there and, you know, the people that draw on our services, you know, they have to see them evidently needing more care and then go away and shut the door behind them and go off and that's a heavy load to bear um so i think there's there's that whole wraparound piece for us so i think there's something about learning and development making sure people feel competent and confident in what they do um making sure they understand the bigger picture so they understand their part in it i think that in terms of cost of living and the kind of issues facing social care workforce in the kind of last year and just society generally information honesty we do loads of kind of signposting newsletters comms obviously things like blue light card and anything we can get um, into the organization that can offer support or welfare mental health first aiders Um, but you are kind of often like providing some you know, I don't know if you're, pre- you're not preventing it, you're kind of providing some options and solutions and support. And I think recognising it, recognising this is what's going on in society, this is what we're trying to do in social care, this is what we're trying to do as an employer, um, but we recognise that sometimes that's going to fall short of being enough. And and, um, and your point earlier, people saying they're leaving, I think, you know, we've got more in our surveys, people saying, I love what I do, I believe in what I do, I believe I make a difference. I don't think I can afford to stay in social care and I don't think I would recommend anyone to come into it. And that's not a great um, reflection on the sector. No, and I think that's part of the bigger picture, as you say, for advocacy, funding. Um, and on the wellness point, just to touch upon it, obviously, um, I know you're again a, a big advocate, but there's been growing uh, support for the idea that actually people can speak about mental health now yeah. in social care um, and it's not something that they should shy away from. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And, and we, as I said, we've done a lot of work around mental health first aiders. And I think people have really embraced it. And I think it's helped them in their personal lives as well as professionally. Um, and it's kind of had a kind of cumulative effect. People go, oh, I really enjoyed that. And actually, I feel more empowered and I feel better able to support my team. Um, and so kind of more and more people have done it, which is great. Um, Absolutely. Touching upon expanding the learning and development point, um, New Cross Healthcare has as part of its mission to be a learning partner for life for people in in the care sector, uh, providing training for free. Uh, You've touched upon some of the work uh, that you do with training now, Mm -hmm. and it's at many multiple levels uh, across Mm -hmm. the place. So can you expand upon that? Because that's so important to be able to, it's not a stopgap, there's a real career pathway uh, all the way to leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we did it on the back of apprenticeship levy and kind of feeling we were going to have to pay a tax anyway and how could we act as a catalyst. Obviously, we had an inter- internal training department anyway. We had, um, and then we used various people. And we still use external um, organisations, but primarily training now provides, yeah, ex- you know, all our short courses and our induction and, and apprenticeships at all different levels um, and also provides really good welfare programmes for our international recruitment. Mm-hmm. And we haven't touched on that today, but obviously it is a it is a something that's really developed quite strongly mm. this this calendar year um, for a lot of um, people yeah, and and I think post-Brexit. And uh, we've invested a huge amount of time and effort into um, not just welfare when people arrive here, but trying to do that kind of before they arrive. Um, and so I think that whole support, that, that blend between HR and support and training and the operations is really kind of melded into... And I think that's then influenced how we work with our other team members because sometimes you look at well actually we're giving all this support and welfare to people coming from overseas which isn't necessary and right but actually how how can that influence what we're doing for our existing workforce here um so yeah the, the training now for me gives us control it's an offstead <laughs> getting into another regulatory area was like not a joy i can say but um but we've done it and they've got a good rating which is a you know real achievement for the team in the current environment um so we're really ex- excited about where that can go we didn't work with, again with the ics um linking in um our training company not just from the operational care side but our training company so again trying to get that whole population and solution approach, um, particularly in Dorset, because that's our kind of about a third of what we do is in Dorset and our obviously support function offices there. But we'd love to do more of that across our other ICSs, but it's just getting those inroads, as you know. <laughs> no, but it helps, I mean, the, it, it's a traction piece, but it also helps with the longevity in yeah. terms of the, having that pathway. Yeah. We, we, we can touch upon international recruitment. It's something that you're very familiar with. It's not an easy thing to do, um, particularly in rural areas etc um have there been perhaps two you've talked about the work that you've done this year have there been two or three things that you've learned from that annual broad experience that makes that a possibility that can really make that work well i think it's like most things in life treat people as people not as a commodity and i think there's a danger that we start treating people as commodities so i think you know remember the person it's a huge journey for people an immense amount of skill and bravery and kind of passion and vision for a new life so I think really get to understand that and culturally that can be different from country to country you've got to invest in it you can't there's not an easy option it's expensive there's time you know it's a big resource but you either want to do it and do it well and then you hopefully will you know get that reward because there's some amazing people coming with amazing skills or you know it, there there isn't an easy fix it's uh, you know remembering the people mm. time and resource and 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 again money behind it um you, you know you've, you've got to do it properly 
and, and promoting the social care sector, of course, internationally is, yeah. is, is part of the advocacy yeah. Uh, yeah. that you have to do. Yeah. I wanted to end with a broader picture. Obviously, um, Adrian cares, I think, 35 years plus, um, a big employer in the, in the, in the local mm -hmm. community. Just trying to um, marry that with the ICS intention of having a seamless uh, approach to health and social care. Are you beginning to see perhaps that chance that there could be multidisciplinary teams that, pe that move back and forth, that we can have a region that actually promotes health and social care in one swoop, as well as being employers that are, uh, the NHS is an anchor institution, but large organisations like Action Care are also anchor institutions for the, for the local economy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's anchor institutions is a really, I mean, that's like a whole, <laughs> a whole episode in itself. Um, because I, yeah, I talked to someone, um, in, in the NHS about exactly that. And I think that is something that I think deserves more time and, and thought. I think the health and social care combined approach, um, I mean, in our other ICSs, we are seeing those glimmers of people reaching out because we're a larger employer in other areas, not just Dorset as well. Yep. So, But in Dorset, I'd say definitely they're really trying to promote health and social care. And I think the, the scholarship project that I'm talking was talking about earlier, that, it, you know, they're really going out to advertise, to use their money to talk about social care careers and not to, and try not to make it just like a funnel that ends up with people going into social care um, and into NHS that actually people know, actually know these are the jobs on equal and trying to band it and show pay levels and career levels and job descriptions and things. So I think there is, and we're, we're doing also a lot of work in our living um, care and, um, well, across all of them in terms of multidisciplinary work, yep. you know, so our teams are spending more time in hospital sites, maybe doing more outreach work and hospital discharge um, work. And, and I think if you can share those same values and goals and your objectives are the same, then that's, you know, and, and raising awareness of people's roles in the ICS, I think is so important because, yeah, we are, it's not just people don't understand social care. We don't always understand um, the different roles in, in the NHS. So definitely think there's hope and I definitely think there is more going on and some really exciting stuff. But again, for a lot of providers, that takes time. Yep. And actually it's it's quite a lot to give. So I think smaller providers struggle with that sometimes because they're in, in their organisation doing multiple roles. Um, and, you know, even for me and my team, when you've got tens and tens of um, different organisations that you've got to work with or ICS, trying to spread that and give it the time because in Dorset, it's, it's, it is, there's a lot of time, but if we can crack it there, then hopefully there's kind of ready-made solutions to take elsewhere. Well, I want to use a four-letter word now, which is hope, because uh, yes, you've referred to we it. We, we, we would like to focus on that. And um, this care survey that uh, New Cross Healthcare um, commissioned YouGov to do a few weeks ago, one of the interesting findings was that 80% of respondents said that they believed that social care was as valuable as the NHS, and 55% said they would be happy for taxes to be raised to pay for mm. it. So maybe with advocacy from yourself and others, there is hope that the funding issue might be seen in a broader light than just pounds, shillings and pence. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I felt that last year kind of through COVID, you know, post-COVID, that I felt the public generally was better prepared to pay for social care, to look at it being, you know, something that they pay taxes towards in a, in a clearer way. And um, and, and I think there's there has been some raising of that awareness. And I think people 
but it, I suppose it's those how many people experience social care and then understand the importance of it. And often, because it's not promoted as well or talked about in the right way, it's not always it's not always understood enough. I think if people are touched by it or they just learn a little bit, they go, absolutely, that value is there. We need, you know, we need that and let's commit to it and let's fund it better. And, but you've got to get the awareness up first which is is part of the challenge well hope springs eternal Um, absolutely yeah there's hopeful sparks always and and you know i always say to our teams all of these challenges we talk about all this doom gloom but actually every day how much amazing care is given and some of it goes wrong because we're dealing with people and we're dealing with very personal situations but actually most of that goes right and it's amazing how what the difference that makes to people's lives every day and and beautiful relationships formed it's not just one way if you're working in social care working with people who draw on your services it's a reciprocal arrangement and you learn from you know you learn from it as well so absolutely on that note uh, i'd like to thank you reina somerset for your time candor and uh, insights thank you thank you for having me my pleasure If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to receive information about how we are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. I'm Sahel Mirza. Goodbye and thank you.